Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Asif Razak, who is Global Head of FX Algo Execution at BMP Paribas. Asif, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Galen. Uh, thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about all things algos. It's an interesting topic. It seems one of the most inevitable trends in the FX industry in recent years has been the adoption of algos for FX execution. My first question actually is going to be a two-parter for you, Asif. The first part is, did BMP Paribas see an uptick in clients using algos to execute their FX trades during the pandemic? And the second part is, do you see client behavior changing in the long term as a result of what we kind of all experienced and went through last year? Yeah, so this one was a bit of a surprise for us, actually. When we first went into the pandemic, we were sort of all holding on to our seats thinking, well, you know, when it comes to an era of volatility, uncertainty, people tend to generally shy away from using algo platforms, right? Because the volatility in the market could be so high and people don't want to be trading at levels where they can't exactly see what is going on in the market. So typically high levels of volatility sees clients move away from the algo platform and go back to basics. So essentially they'd either go back to trading against electronic pricing uh, on a risk transfer basis or trading with a voice coverage on a voice price basis. But we saw the exact opposite effect take place. So when the pandemic kicked in and people were dislocated from their regular place of work, we saw a huge uptick in volumes. And when I say huge, we saw a 250% increase in client volumes in using algos, which was something that we never expected. So things got very busy on the algo platform and the volatility was there on the market. So we were talking ahead to like, what is causing all of this? Why is the demand for algos has been its highest, given that previous volatile events, we've seen the opposite effect happen. And I think there were a number of factors that led to it. Factor number one, we know that, as you mentioned before, algo adoption is on the increase on a year-by-year basis. So by now, 10 years into the algos being available in the market, majority of clients, I would say, are very comfortable using execution algorithms. It's part of their day-to-day execution policy. It's now widely used across different client sectors. And with the arrival of TCA, I think now clients are a lot more confident having it as part of their day-to-day execution policy. So the comfort factor of knowing this technology exists and people can use it, familiarity also played a big part in when people moving over, people using algorithms during this pandemic moment. Another reason was when you have this sort of heightened volatility and uncertainty, the risk pricing tends to become extremely wide. So everyone's pricing cautiously. So people saw their bid offer spreads on the risk price, but they typically would trade gap to all-time highs. And that, that resulted, I think, in people saying, well, let's take a punt and use an algorithm. Can an algo outperform this really wide bid offer spread that I'm being quoted on a risk transfer basis? And when they dipped their toes into it, they actually saw that the algo was providing opportunity costs and significant cost savings. And that then created a snowball effect in people then being a lot more comfortable using execution algorithms because the benchmark, which was the risk transfer price, is so high, it was much easier for the algorithm to actually outperform that benchmark. So that, again, you know, was one of the reasons where actually you know, a lot of the buy side were using algorithms to demonstrate best execution because they were finding much more favorable rates using the algorithm rather than trading against the bid offer spread. And then lastly, it comes down to, you know, what we talked about, dislocation from your main form of office. So people are now yeah. working at home. 
They don't have the lines they have into their dealers. They can't get hold of one as easy as they used to. Whereas having an electronic platform, having a dealing platform where you can access all the algos and you can pilot the algorithm yourself without having to pick up a phone line, again, led to that increase in volume. So yeah, it was a very big uptick in volume and it, it did surprise us. And I think one of the interesting things that we saw over this pandemic is that we also saw new entrants. So first time algo users come to the market. Again, I think when they saw these sort of eye-watering rates in terms of the risk transfer, they wanted to look at other options to execute. And our sales teams were able to offer, well, we do have an algo platform which you can give a go. And then you saw the arrival of new clients fading via Salesforce and putting orders in and again, starting to experience the cost savings, which to answer your second question, we've now seen more and more people, new entrants, who are now starting to use algo platforms at the back of their experience during the pandemic. And did we continue to see that demand go place? Well, you know, again, to sort of lead to the second question, well, not really. So when pricing normalized and the volatility normalized and pricing became back in, we saw our volumes drop back down to pre-pandemic levels, but volumes overall year on year were up because all these new entrants have now had the experience of an algo. And so you've got right. more corporate and stuff coming in. So overall, we did see an uptick on year on year volumes. But certainly that 250% increase sort of self-normalized a couple of months after the pandemic. And I think it's a really interesting point you raised that actually people turning to algos during the volatility was not what you traditionally expect in this market. Do you think there's a degree to which people now feel that algos in FX have been kind of effectively battle tested now because of what we experienced last year? Uh, I think so. I think so. I think there's much more of a comfort factor the reliability of these algos from a client's point of view is now being sounded out. And so if you like, they've uh, smoke tested these algos during these high volatile moments and know they could use them. Now, ultimately, what it comes down to whether they should use an algo or not, is still going to come down to the internal best execution policy in benchmarking it to other parts of execution being a risk transfer price and so forth. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily lead that when we do have volatile markets, uh, clients will sort of migrate to using algos. Yes, if it does outperform the benchmarks, we will definitely see that increase. But uh, yeah, certainly we have seen the level of comfort that clients have in using these strategies is, is heightened. Partly also down to the fact, uh, and we could talk a bit about this uh, you know, later in the podcast, is that we've the banks haven't just been standing still on algorithms. You know, we've actually built out the algo platform and provided clients with fantastic tools now. Again, giving them that comfort factor of knowing what the algorithm is doing. So let's talk about that then, right? Which is, I'm curious how you see client demands evolving around FX algos. You know, obviously the products themselves get more sophisticated. People get more used to working with them. How are kind of what they want and what they expect from an algo and an algo platform changing? Yeah, if we talk a bit about the journey of where we've come from and where we are today, it's light and day difference. When algos first started, there were very basic strategies, very rules-based. The most basic of algos was the TWAP, which would be like buy 60 million over the next hour, and the algo religiously just buy 1 million every minute, right? But then we had the arrival of high-frequency trading, and those algorithms were easily detectable and could have an adverse market impact. So, you know, the algos evolved a bit more and we saw sort of second generation algos supply come to the market where they were sort of happening to multiple liquidity pools. And this was in line with the fragmentation we saw in FX. So these algos are able to go and tap into liquidity across different pools. But again, people can get sophisticated and can read signals from multiple different venues. So then we saw another generation of algorithms, the third generation algos involved. And this is where we kind of entered the market for about seven years ago, introducing adaptive algorithms. So 
rather than algorithms being very rules-focused and following a very distinct style of execution, these algorithms were able to self-adapt and self-change their behavior mid-execution to adjust how they trade, given the feedback they're getting from the market. And this created a much more random trading behavior, a bit more like a human trader. And that sort of concept massively improved the performance of the algorithm. And we saw more and more clients start to like these sort of adaptive style of algorithms. But one thing that was common between all three of these generations of algorithms, they were what we call black box technology. It was like a black hole, right? You would submit the algorithm and kind of cross your fingers and hope everything goes well and kind of look at the post-trade analysis that to basically judge the performance of the algorithm. So there was kind of a, a level of trust that you had to give to the strategies in terms of how well they performed. So how do we plug that gap? And this is what we've been working over in introducing fourth generation algorithms. And this is now essentially giving the clients an algo eye view of the market. So essentially what we did is build them a dashboard, which basically allows them to see the market through the eyes of the algo. And what we're doing is surfacing the signals and all the market data the algo is using and painting it on a nice, easy to use UI where clients can actually see what is the mechanics of the algorithm. Then what we wanted to do is actually let the clients know what the models and what the signals mean. And so here we invented something really cool where we took a leaf out of Silicon Valley and took the concept of Siri and Alexa and brought it to Algo Trading and we called it Alex. And so what Alex was doing is giving the Algo a voice. So now the Algo could give the client real-time commentary on what it's seen take place in the market and how it's going to change its behavior given it's seen those changes. So now you've gone from an environment where it's been completely black box, where they're not seeing any intel what's going on behind the scenes. So now having a live dashboard, giving you the heartbeat of the market, giving you signals. And then in plain English, you've got Alex popping up with a bit like a WhatsApp messaging interface saying, hey, volatility detected, do you want me to take action? And then giving clients pragmatic options of what they can do to the algorithm to help them navigate that particular strategy. So tools like these, real-time analytics and concepts like Alex, I think, again, give that client empowerment of basically having a view of the market, just like an FX trader would do in a bank. So it really does put them in the driving seat. And I think that these tools, alongside you know, the years of getting comfort, have seen clients and become a lot more comfortable using these algos. So not necessarily algo involving itself, but it's the tools around the algo, which make life a lot more easier for the client. Really cool stuff. There's two things I want to pick up from what you've just said. Uh, so the first is we're talking about functionality, not just of the algo itself, but also around the algo. So I'm curious, which do you think is more important when it comes to determining execution outcomes? Do you think that the design of the algo itself is more important or the liquidity that the algo is interacting with? It's the mixture of both, to be honest. Um, okay. I think all factors come into play here. So when we're talking about the design of the algorithm, the design algorithm needs to know how to manage each currency pair. Every currency pair is very different. So an NDF market is very different to an EM market, which is very different to a G7 currency pair. The design algorithm needs to incorporate the differences of those pairs, the nuances of those pairs, not just looking at the liquidity profile, but also looking at how those pairs are traded and by which counterparts those traded by, right? So that's all featured into design. And then you have a separate discipline in terms of curating your liquidity ports understanding which liquidity pools are good for given set of currency pairs. And you basically customize and bespoke those pools and then plug the algorithm together. So, you know, when we're engineering algorithms, we're both engineering the business logic of the algorithm itself and also looking at the liquidity pools and then blending the two together to give you a complete solution. These tools that I'm talking about, which are sort of value-add tools, like you've got pre-trade tools out there, post-trade TCA, real-time TCA, 
things like Alex, these don't actually change the outcome of the execution because whether I use the tools or whether I don't use the tools, the algo is going to execute in the same way. What we are seeing, though, is this sort of symbiotic relationship between man versus machine. Because for the first time now, rather than the algo running fully on autopilot and executing as per it's been designed, you're now having human influence added to the algorithm through these tools that I just talked about. So through the interactive experience, the trader or the client, the buy side, when they're using the algorithm, when they interpreted the data that Alex pushed in back to them, they may take a slight different view and modify the algorithm over the natural flight path the algorithm would take. And the execution outcome will be different as a result of that. And what we're able to do is actually say, ah, okay, had you not touched the algorithm versus you touching the algorithm, what would have worked out better? And this is sort of like the client sort of being on a nervous front here because obviously they don't want to get the judgment on the algo. But what we found, which was very surprising for me as being an engineer, that nine times out of 10, the client would outperform the flight path of the algorithm by altering the path of the strategy. So this is, yeah, it's really interesting. So what we're looking at, I was scratching my head, why is that? Why can I always outperform it? And essentially, what it boils down to is additional information that they may have, maybe alpha on the market, or maybe their own sort of positions. Maybe they know information that the algo may never have access to. And infusing that into the execution improves the performance of the overall strategy. So we found that that sort of symbiosis relationship is actually adding a layer of improvement to the algorithm. Now, that's not to say the algo is going to do a bad job if you didn't touch it or didn't play with it. Algo is designed to get you the optimal performance based on the data and the knowledge it knows. So for a lot of clients, we say, look, don't feel like you have to interrupt the algorithm. If you feel there's value that you can add, we're giving you that option to add to that value. So it's important that we then package all these different elements when it comes to designing algorithms, designing liquidity pools, and designing the tool as well that clients have access to. And then you know, working with clients and educating them on how they can use these different tools and giving them the data to make informed decisions. So you you somewhat preempted what my second question was going to be on this topic, which was about the role of the human trader, right? Because I think that there's sometimes there's this misconception that algos will come in and they remove the need for the human trader and, you know, all these programs will just go off and run themselves. And as you say, this kind of black blocks uh, approach. But it sounds very much like there is a big role for the human trader and it's kind of more of a cockpit type situation. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. So look, you'll get two camps of clients, right? You get the camps of clients which are pretty much hands-off, just want to delegate everything to the algorithm. They don't actually want to even interact with a ticket. They will program to an API and just call into the algorithm, let the algorithm do its work, and then do the analysis and uh, come back with feedback on how they can improve the cycle. So that's a very valid camp. That's pretty much letting the algorithm run an autopilot from start to finish. And then you have your active clients, right, who basically want to be hand-holding and want to be more plugged in and to have a more a trader-like feel. So for them, previously, the only thing they had to decide on is, hey, should I use an algo to execute this order or should I use the risk transfer? And if I go down the path of an algo, what algo should I use? Should I use a BNP algo, another peer bank algo? And how do I go about making my decision on which algo to use? And that was it. Once they put the algo in, they were pretty much leaving the algo to its own void. Now what we're doing is basically adding another layer on top of that and saying, well, okay, now that you selected the algorithm, how you pilot that algorithm, how can you see the feedback of that algorithm? And also giving the client the option to switch back to a traditional style of trading if the algorithm is not working so well. But this interactive approach and giving the client optionality 
makes them feel much more plugged into the execution process. It's giving them the ability to show the value they bring to the table by selecting the algorithm and then piloting the algorithm. So, you know, the way we look at it is that these algos aren't designed to replace what these guys do. It's been designed to give them more effective tools so they can do their job a lot better. And then when we talk about FX algo adoption, I feel a lot of the focus is on Spot because SpotFX is obviously a very technologically advanced liquid market. It's very ripe for algo usage. But there seems to be growing interest in using these tools outside the SpotFX market. So I guess my question to you is, are other instrument types really ready for algorithmic trading? Well, that's an easily answerable question. So the way I always look at this is, if a market is electronically mature, then we can plug an algo into it. And that's the crux of how we basically look at expanding the algo platform. As long as it's an electronic ether that the algo can operate under, we can build an algo to trade on it. Regardless of how liquid or illiquid it is, we just need that electronic pulse of tapping okay. into that market. Now, in some markets, you might find there is some electronic liquidity there, but by and large, the bulk of the liquidity is still traded voice. Now, an algo can't compete in that market until it learns to talk and coming soon, watch this space. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, unless we get to that domain, there's no chance an electronic system can compete against that sort of asset class. So what we've been doing is closely monitoring these different products. And as these products become electronically mature, we see more electronic ecosystem. We then basically retrain and rebuild these algos towards those markets. A classic example is the NDS space. When we looked at NDS, you know, most NDS were traded voice. We then started seeing a handful of ECNs offering NDF liquidity, then some of the primary venues started offering it. And this was an ideal time for us to actually look at that and plug an algo into it. We did some testing runs with our internal traders. If our traders like it, it means that it's fit for client use. And so we roll it out to external clients. So that's been a huge trend right now. What do I see coming next? For me, I think the next big growth pain, if you look outside of spot and NDS, is a swap market. Swaps has been a growing hindrance for clients in the sense that the swap pricing they tend to get is only typically coming from the banks. There's no interbank swap market out there. But as you know, we are now starting to see the arrival of the swap DMA uh, interbank markets, right? And uh, back, you know, 360T is one of those guys leading that charge. Yeah. So as and when that market becomes available and we feel it's electronically mature, guess what, we'll plug and I'll go into it. And then it gives that liquidity or the option to trade this swap liquidity through the algos that we offer our clients today. Well, Asif, that was everything I wanted to ask you. Thank you so much for joining me. This is such an interesting and rapidly evolving space that we will have to have you back on the podcast again sometime to update us on everything that's happening. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was a really pleasure to come back as well. So yeah, thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. And please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.